0: You're listening to
1: Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by 3Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. Hi, I'm Jack Thomas, director of FreeVision. On this special episode of Inside Content, I'm joined by Anthony Zyker, Creative CSI. We delve into the continued success of the franchise, including its global acquisitions, and explore the rise of True Prime limited series, as well as the current commissioning trends in crime drama.
0: Hi, Anthony, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm here in lovely Seattle.
1: Ah, good. And
0: I'm here in equally
1: lovely Vancouver. Uh, thanks for joining me on Inside Content. Uh, it's great to have you here, especially as we sort of start to see uh, and continue to see a big change and uh, in terms of the types of content people have been uh, producing and commissioning. Uh, you know, your career has spanned over a sort of great age as far as uh, TV content is concerned. Uh, concern. We've gone through several status quos as we sort of now get into a Bigger disruptive force now. As far as uh, we've, you know, you've seen, you've gone through and like seen CSI flourish and the rise of streamers and everything else. As uh, as this faced some of its challenges over the years, CSI has always been kind of an enduring force in that in that space. Uh, so I guess my first question to you is, how do you explain that kind of continued success that a show like CSI has uh, had over the years? Despite these kind of, I think when you look at sort of common sense trends around things, it seems like in many ways crime dramas going in other directions. We're seeing, you know, I was pulling numbers earlier. The last season saw a quarter of new crime dramas coming out of the U.S. being limited series, almost polar opposite of a fifteen series run. How do you, what makes you think that? C- why CSI sort of managed to endure as a franchise uh, despite these kind of changes in commissioning trends?
0: Well, I think to answer that uh, for these times, we have to take a look at those times, right? So CSI was uh, created in August of 1999. It debuted October 6th of 2000 on CBS uh, on a Friday in a crazy way uh, at 9 o'clock. And then once it sort of surpassed The the Fugitive in terms of ratings, it moved to Thursdays at 9 and was there. Uh, for twelve straight years. Now, Thursday at nine is a very, very profitable time slot for the broadcast because it's the last chance for advertisers to get a hold of you know the consumer. Um, and that's a very important slot. Don't forget, there was no streaming back then, so the main way to consume a big television show was to watch it either live on broadcast or uh, you could tape it TiVo as you wish. And a lot of people consumed it there. So the technology of the broadcast and the simplicity of recording uh, was just perfect for the CSI format, which you know runs 42 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, as time goes on, you know, streaming kind of came in, surpassed cable, uh, and changed the consumptive habits of how people consume television. That said, uh, we were still the meat and potatoes of the world in terms of the most successful franchise with CSI Vegas, uh, CSI Miami, CSI New York, CSI Cyber, and CSI Vegas once again. Um, and as the the streaming platform changed and shifted, uh, the the programmers and developers of the new crime shows of today don't quite know how far they can go. So it's a lot of sampling, as they say. It's a lot of limited series: six episodes, eight episodes, ten episodes. Uh, it'd Be hard pressed to find uh, a long running show like CSI that can go fifteen years on a streaming service. It's just not quite what it is. So the 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 good news about CSI is that it can live on broadcast and does very well globally. Uh, it can live on streaming and cable quite successfully. Um, we're not really interested in getting in, into a back and forth with uh, other limited series that, that air. That's really up to them to do that. Um, but we also believe that our format is timeless enough to go longer programming, shorter programming, movies, short form. Um, we haven't been approached yet. But for now, we're we're sticking with what the one hour on broadcast into other platforms.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's interesting what you say about it. sort of international reach. I was looking at, we we track a lot of data where where shows go around the world, and so looking at CSI Vegas, you kind of see a huge different kind of proportion of uh, different types of services acquiring it depending on the country. A lot of pay TV, sort of cable equivalent broadcasters around the world taking it, whereas traditionally obviously it'd be something very well sought after by free tv we're seeing that a little bit places like australia obviously canada where i am has um, a similar cast of global italy as well free tv picking up but also lots of s taking it now in lots of different places whether that's Local Westwood Services acquiring it and s- stacking it, or uh, waiting a little bit longer and putting it up for box set. And obviously, the, with the whole Paramount connection, that obviously leaves a sort of good opportunity for Paramount Plus in a few markets to potentially take it as its sort of, first window as well. Have you uh, spoken or have, like seen from like the audience perspective? Is there a new preferred way of uh, viewing CSI? Is it something that people love to binge? Do you know? Is it or is it something that still kind of has that water cooler moment quality that benefits from a weekly release?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really great question. I can answer it a couple different ways. Um, Number one, I will say that the quality of programming to be consumed for CSI is a much more um, exciting and delicious experience on Paramount Plus than broadcast. Uh, on Paramount Plus, you don't have the banners popping up to advertise other shows during our actors trying to look for evidence and talk about the crime. Um, you don't have the disturbances of sort of low quality uh, audio, and then suddenly a commercial comes up and it's you know blistering in your ears. Those things aren't aren't great for the for the experience. And I've been pretty vocal about uh, that's just uh, not the best thing for our viewers. Uh, in terms of of Paramount Plus and binging. You know, there's good and bad to that. Uh, The consumer likes to binge and I get things that are serialized and they they binge it and they love it. But the problem with the the binging model, in my opinion, is the fact that once you sit and binge over the course of, you know, a day or a week or a month, uh, the lag time to go ahead and re-up and give you more episodes for a secondary season, third season, takes so long, you're just asking the consumer to move on to other stuff and fall out of love with the series. And I think that's gonna be the danger. The great thing about at least the CSI model is you can watch it on a, a Thursday, and I recently moved to Sunday, once a week for most of the year, and then really enjoy repeats over the summer. Uh, I love White Lotus, s- season two. I just came back from Sicily and stayed in that hotel, and it was wonderful. Um, but I'll be waiting a long time until I see season three. And at that point, I might've moved on to something else. So. Uh, I think the streamers are putting a lot of singles and doubles in baseball speak into the world to be able to kind of attract you to pay $10 a month. Um, it's fun to binge, but it's not fun to wait. You know, think of, think of consuming broadcasts mm-hmm. like, like food in a restaurant. Uh, lovely to go there and eat. Um, appetizers fantastic, but when the entree takes an hour and a half to get to your table, you know you're not happy so i'd rather have a consistent meal over the course of, of time to have a great experience than to have the privilege to binge and then have to wait and fall out of love with stuff i think that's a very dangerous game that's probably why we're on strike
1: mm. i mean there's obviously interesting we seeing kind of shorter runs of shows whether that's both on the season level like you say singles or doubles but also just the on a per season basis a lot of the data we look at even for sort of conventional or traditional i'd rather procedural dramas, the episode count per season, sort of on the average, is slipping ever so slightly over the years. And obviously, yes, we see more things like limited series pushing for six or 10 episodes, as opposed to you know, a traditional 22 episode run. That drastically reduces that ability to spread it out, even if you were to release
0: it weekly, you know,
1: see, like you say, sorry, go edge, on, and
0: I don't, Jack. I don't, hmm. I don't think, it, I don't think it pencils is the issue. It doesn't, it doesn't pencil um in a couple reasons it, it goes south for co- sideways for a couple reasons in my opinion number one there's so many singles and doubles out there who can possibly keep track of everything you know i was literally driving to lax this morning um yesterday morning and i saw uh, uh the the wife of uh, nick jonas so the chopra jonas is in this new thing called citadel mm-hmm. I, i've never heard of it at all it's been out for a month and she's you know she's huge she's a big deal so the thing is, as you put all these things out there in a million different streaming platforms, nobody could possibly track it all. So it's very difficult <laughs> to, to consume it. In terms of the CSI order, you know, we, we live in that 22-24 episode range. I believe our, our season three pickup is 15. That's probably because of the strike. But being able to do 22-24 to keep our sets standing and not strike the sets in terms of uh, our, our budget, uh, the consistency of, of our actors and keeping them employed along with the crew. Um, and being able to provide, you know, year round content without a long wait or, or, or lag, I think is important to the to the audience. I mean, could you imagine Sopranos coming on and doing six episodes and then disappearing mm. forever or waiting a year and a half to come back? I mean, you saw what happened when they took that long year and a half hiatus and came back from HBO. You know, uh, people didn't come back. It was tough. So I, I, I'm I'm of the Sopranos ilk, the CSI ilk, you know, things that last longer, um, that make me, feel, make me feel like my family's not going to leave me. And entertain me, you know, once a week for an hour. I think that's important for the the self consciousness of the viewer. Mm.
1: And I think, despite everything we're seeing with limited series, obviously there is seemingly a sort of growing sort of appreciation and demand for procedural. Whether that's taking, you know, the wealth of library of what's already out there for CSI, that's still a well sought after thing for a lot of services internationally. It's still something that performs very well on a lot of streamers. Uh, Is some of their best performing content is that that you know what's otherwise you know quite old content but is reliable and there for a lot of people and i guess the question i have is we seem you start to see a few newer procedural crime things pop up from you know other people as well so and starting the kind of spin-off train as well so we've got sort of your 911s and your fbi's and things starting up a little bit more do you think there's a sign there we've seen that that um, a sort of bigger push might come for yeah. um for procedurals or do you think there's no, much a much smaller market than there used to be and some it. people going to have to kind of sink
0: or swim? It's another dangerous Jack question. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the problem in that. Um, I believe the future of broadcast, the future of television has to start at the broadcast level. Period. And then it can actually limp itself into streaming and have a life there, you know, at a specific dollar point per, per month. I think that's going to be important. Um, if not, you you really you really run the risk of of doing short-form stuff in a lot of streaming platforms that you just simply just cannot track. Um, and I think uh, financially it's going to be really, really tough. You know, when the technology dictates the content versus the content first finds a place in the technology consumption, um, things begin to turn a little bit upside down. And although the habits have shifted in terms of watching stuff on streaming, and we, we all do it, we've all done it, uh, it just can't be at the expense of the purity of what we do, which is, you know, long-form content for the broadest audience possible. I, I don't see a big future in short-form content on the streaming platform uh, without some level of consistency and ignoring the, the broadcast as a platform to reach the largest, our largest audience. It's called Broadcast for a reason. And I think uh, the industry is going to have to get back to honoring the importance of television uh, proper as a broadcast versus ignoring that and th- think the streaming will bail us out because it certainly won't.
1: Mm. I think it's, it's really interesting some of the things you've been saying as far as like there's a lot of things I'm constantly told by people, you should watch this, you should watch this. And there's things they watched weeks ago, months ago, all in one go. There's no conversation to be had about it other than have you watched it or haven't you i've had a lot i think come to mind is something like dharma on netflix i have a lot of people telling me to do that and i remember last time i was in la a lot of you of know, emmy pushes from that but obviously that's you know, the the realm of sort of great writing and drama is not something that's you know monopolized by those types of content you guys in csi uh, vegas obviously with your episodes the promise is one that you're quite keen uh, and to sort of uh, have people put their eyes on because of these sort of dramatic content of it there. Do you want to talk a little bit about that episode
0: for me? Sure, sure. Um, you know, The Promise is episode 17 of season two for CSI. It aired on March 30th, 2023. I know that because it's my 10th year anniversary. So that's why I remembered that <laughs> a specific date. Uh, I've been working with Karen T. Taylor, who's the the leader in facial reconstruction out of Austin, Texas, uh, for about 20 years. There's been a lot of articles in Las Vegas um, that have been consumed, probably national news. They've been finding bodies in rusted barrels in the bottom of Lake Mead. Now, allegedly, the bodies in those barrels are sort of like mob hits um, of the 70s, most, most likely, you know, done by the sort of uh, that era of the movie casino with, the you know, Frank Rosenthal and Antonio Spilatro. Um mm-hmm. I assume that once that, that goes to the FBI and goes to the, the channels of DNA, um, those are probably be victims of, of the mob. Not, not really a big deal. What I didn't want to do is do a cliche and do sort of like a mob hit in a barrel, although that's real. What we decided to do is flip it and tell a, a highly emotional story about a child in the barrel. And then all that comes with that emotionality of finding a child in a barrel over the course of 40 years in trying to bring peace of mind and closure to uh, her mother. Now, her mother is Regina Taylor. She plays Mrs. Williams in the show. And and I've been on this Emmy campaign for a while uh, since it aired because I've never quite seen a performance like this on broadcast. Um, it could be one of the best performances ever. Uh, and she really came in and did something extraordinary. Now, the, the the Emmy campaign, it's very tough because you're competing with all the streaming shows and the, the cable shows as you wish. It rarely this broadcast get a look but for 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 guest star on csi las vegas i believe the promise with uh that role with regina taylor deserves an emmy nomination most likely a win
1: yeah i think she did really splendidly um uh, when i watched it it was really good and it's it's one of those fascinating things that you, you could there's a cynical part of me that feels like you could take that episode and quite easily turn it into one of these 10 episode limited series and sort of you know, draw there it you, go again, a there you but, go again. There you go again. But so, but obviously, so much of, you, but also, you 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 do start to lose the impact over time if you're asking people to wait that long or asking people to commit to ten hours. And so, the idea that you can have that and then tune in next week for something else is yeah. great.
0: It's mm-hmm. I mean, what people have to understand on the, on this podcast is this: it's very expensive to get a show up and running. Very expensive mm-hmm. to hire the actors, to build the sets, to go on location and then strike an end. And when you start doing that math, it doesn't pencil is the problem. It it doesn't really turn a tremendous profit. And the other thing Jackie mentioned earlier that I forgot I want to mention is, it's very difficult to be successful on broadcast and then be good enough for some of the streamer services. You know, there are some shows on major networks, I will not name them to get myself in trouble, but there are some that do decent on broadcast and they can't sell them in the streaming service. Um, and that's also a problem. So it's not just a broadcast problem being ignored and the streaming service is now the flavor of the month. Um, the key to success is going to be a successful broadcast show that lives on other platforms successfully also. So you're consuming them for free on broadcast and you're willing to pay that $10, $15 a month to consume them on streaming. And that's going to be the only way uh, I believe this, this industry can, can sustain.
1: And do you think some of that hesitance to uh, for streamers to require things previously on broadcast is that because they've been seen by everyone already on broadcast is there a kind of snobbiness at play where they think something a network tv show is not the same as a streamer tv show i don't think so no i I, I
0: don't think so because the consumer has the confidence that it's always there for you Mm -hmm. right so you happen to miss the promise on 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 october on march 30th uh 2023 you know that if you belong to Paramount Plus, you know that all the episodes are there for you for your, your consumptive behavior, which is fantastic. So the safety net is there. That, that's not that's mm. not the issue. Um, the issue will will be is is if you ignore the broadcast and you're strictly going to put all your money behind the streaming service, and you're gonna do short short content that's really expensive mm. with high-end actors, how do you possibly sustain the $10 a month without extraordinary scale? You know, where's your yellowstone? You know, where's your 1823? You know, where, where where are your big hits that cause you to actually plunk down and join the service because you want to watch Yellowstone? Mm. And that's that's going to be the 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 bar to be set really high to be able to keep this, this business afloat.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is we've seen to sort of finally start to see sort of from the tops of a lot of the studios that kind of and, and Netflix and the like as well that pivot from this kind of content arms race where it was. You know, pump out as much as we can, as much premium content as we can at all costs to this bit more uh, signaling towards a kind of pragmatic content approach where, okay, we're going to actually try and push for the right content for our platform, be careful with our investment, make sure we're not overspending on all these premium dramas and things. Obviously a big part of that would be uh, a digital footprint potentially for broadcast as well.
0: We have other problems. You know, the problem is, is that people like myself, who want to have you know greater freedom to you know push the audience um, and push the envelope as much as we possibly can to entertain an audience that is very entertained on TikTok and seeing everything they can under the sun within you know 30 minutes. Uh, there's a lot of restrictions on broadcast, there's restrictions on language, restrictions on sex, restrictions on violence, restrictions on what you can say. Um, we're in this cancel culture, this woke culture, uh, and I've had uh, many many notes come back that I just feel are, are just really silly for where we are today mm-hmm. in 2023. And what happens is the, the, the scripts get watered down to the point where they're very boilerplate because um, we can't take those chances. So if as an artist, I don't love the broadcast creatively, um, but as an artist, I love streaming creatively because you can pretty much do what you want. So you're battling an audience that wants to be entertained and pushed um, and you're also battling a broadcast that where your hands, your hands are tied behind your back to write a script, so it's it's very very challenging right now.
1: Mm, sounds like almost like you know, some of the challenges that people took back in the day trying to make those kind of edgy edgy kids cartoons I grew up with, like like Batman and gargles. They obviously always had to fight fight with people because that's kids content. You need to think you know be sensitive and everything. But it's interesting to see that's still kind of being applied. To Contempest, yeah, well, only yeah, if yeah, only as if as you well. can only if
0: you can get away with murder, so to speak. And South Park <laughs> can do it all day long. They can do Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. They can do streaming. You know, Family Guy. Like some of those things can go all day long. But um, I remember getting a, a note back from CBS that I couldn't say the word chop suey. Oh. In in, 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 the, in the terms of like hurry up a like, chop suey, let's go. Uh, oh,
1: I see. Right. Uh, okay.
0: And uh, that was you know that was sort of a said to me that that might be um, offensive. Um, I think when we're at more at that point where Chops so always offensive, meaning knowing, knowing clearly it means let's hurry up to the crime scene. Uh, mm. I, think, I think things are in a pretty, pretty bleak place.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully we can start to so maybe see people uh, move around and allow people to push the bar a bit more. I think there's that expectation seems to be growing among stream audiences. So you would hope that that might be inherited by broadcast as well at some point if they want to compete on that stage as well. Um, I guess I'm curious now, obviously, we talked a lot about CSI, this enduring format that's done so well, but obviously some of the more recent work that you've got sort of upcoming, specifically what you have with the Sinclair Broadcasting Company is something a lot more potentially disruptive, uh, interesting way of um, tackling kind of what might sort of that kind of true crime uh, sort of fascination people have had over the years. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, You know, the Sinclair Broadcast Group is sort of a, it's, a, it's kind of the makeup that covers all my blemishes. Uh, it sort of forgives a lot of sins um, for the industry. You know, I, I am the type of entrepreneur and writer and creator uh, and producer that has multiple things in the fire all the time inside the industry and outside the industry, uh, just because I don't really trust uh, that one specific thing is going to keep me gainfully employed. Even though what I do the best uh, right now is obviously CSI, so when I met up with Sinclair Broadcast Group, you know they were able to tell me that they are in business with one hundred ninety-eight stations, and they had the capital to let me develop television shows uh, powered by Sinclair, original Anthony Zyker Productions, and then take them into the marketplace uh, with with some level of of funding, and also you know full creativity. Now that's something I don't have. I could probably, if I wanted to bark loud enough, I could probably get that kind of deal at Netflix. But I don't, don't necessarily want to write you know, 1,000 episodes every single year at 54 years old. Uh, but Sinclair allows me to create game shows and finance them. Again, we do, we do short-form uh, documentary series and finance them. Um, start up new companies and finance them. And for me, creatively, this is exactly where I want to be at this time of my life. What I, what I don't want to be doing is, pre-COVID, is driving two hours from Malibu to Netflix, pitching them and then never getting a yes and never getting a no. That's that's been pretty much on par. I've had that happen with BET, I've had that happen to other other, you know, Discovery channel where you sometimes just don't even get a no. Mm, um, and that's a lot of that's a lot of work before you pitch, it's a lot of going with expensive decks and sizzle reels. And you know, we just don't have the people in the room anymore that can actually say yes. So you have to, you know, you're pitching people that don't have the power to say yes to go upstairs to pitch you when you're not there and the hope for, you know, a positive result. And it just for me, you know, I don't bring anything into the industry pitching that's not, you know, up top shelf of high quality and just the leadership part of where the industry is right now and how things are distilled upstairs to get a yes and how to get things to the altar in two years uh, wasn't something I was excited about. So I decided to, to, to shift my entire pivot, my entire sensibilities for the business. And just go around the system and work from the back, back end to inside, versus the upfront pitch scenario. I've, I've retired from that. It doesn't work for me.
1: Okay, interesting. So, what does this mean for? Yeah, this type of content that you're putting out with Sinclair, what does that mean on the kind of international stage? Is that something that you know people are likely to see around the world, or is it kind possible? of... Possible, sure, sure. We're doing yeah.
0: a six-part documentary series called Timeline, original Anthony Zeichel production about the deconstruction of the shooting in Las Vegas. and happened October 1st, mm-hmm. 2017, by the hands of Stephen C. Paddock, where 59 people were killed, including himself. Um, that's, a, that's a very daring series that will live globally. I'm certain The Idaho Murders is next. DC Snipers 9-11, it's, it's a really, really strong format, and that can see you know global, um, global use uh, for sure in terms of consumption. Uh, we have a couple of game shows that I've created that are gone to pilot that I've seen that are wonderfully fantastic, that could live in different languages all over the world. And it's exciting, it's exciting to mm. get past that stage where when you sit and think, you don't have to worry about uh, pitching and selling anything. It's really kind of already greenlit at the thought process. It's just a matter of how excellent you want to uh, fix it before you kind of take it out or shoot it. And that's a, it's a much different mentality. And as as that works in success, I'll be bringing people of the industry over to the Sinclair side, um, who I know would desperately like to have this kind of arrangement.
1: Yeah. So do you think that there's a bit of a potential trend about to be set here? As far as um, being able to dip into these local news archives
0: and
1: bring it out quite easily. Is that, Uh, as far as like, you know, doing that work, assembling the footage and everything that they might have on file when it comes to sort of building out these docuseries, is that something that you and your production team are doing? Or is it, have they got a team of sort of archivists that are able to jump into their own archives? No, it's uh, it's us for,
0: yeah, it's us for now. I mean, mean, look, I, I, I told the chairman of Sinclair, I said, look, you have more Tiger King footage than anybody ever had and you never did a documentary. You know, you have more green killer river green river killer footage, Idaho murder footage than anybody because you have news affiliates down there shooting this stuff all the time. The problem is once they do their packages for the news, it goes in the cutting room floor and it has no value. So I, I talked to Sinclair. I said, look, why don't we redo the way we tell stories on the news broadcast? Why don't we archive the stuff we're shooting and repurpose it for original programming so you could own it? So, when Timeline goes to series for Vegas or Idaho murders or DC Sniper or 9 11, you know, arguably you could have 36 different pieces of content that you own that you can control, and you could re monetize those anytime you want to establish a library with valuation. So, as the retrans news business goes down over the course of the next seven years, this media company will have stuff in their vault <clears throat> that has value because Sinclair, in my opinion, is a news company, but really deep down it's a content company. And that's why they took me on.
1: That's excellent. Well, it's, and obviously, potentially looking forward to if you can, as you say, potentially get some of your friends involved in this type of work as well, There might be a, a huge, uh, huge potential ceiling for the kind of work that can happen from this. And it's definitely, you know, an area that we've seen, you know, continue to see as far as factual content there's still that renewed interest in true crime it's not just all being turned into limited drama series there's still plenty of true
0: crime factual as well and so and, and by the way Jack the thing is yeah I mean look the uh, the the world's changed you know you, mm-hmm. remember in the year 2000 you bring in an idea for television and you pitch it and let's say it's it's in what we call the zip code meaning it's in the ballpark of what could be good or great the executives back then would take the idea, listen to it, see the bones in it, and you would have multiple development sessions until you got it to a place that it was great, and then go upstairs and sell the person that could say yes to it and finance it and have a chance to shoot it and put it on the air. That was the culture in 2000. The culture in 2023 is people who are in the room don't have the power to say yes. They don't have you back for a secondary development session. And unless you're pitch perfect in the moment, you're going to either get a no or get no answer. And I think, you know, leadership wise and culture wise, that, that's where we're really struggling as an industry. You know, when we, when we are not collaborative with the buyer uh, to work together to make something great for their network and their audience. That becomes a real guessing game for someone like myself. Now, CSI is different. CSI. We know the players. We know the, the bosses. We know the check writers. We know what they want. We know the audience like the back of our hand. So there's not a lot of that. But even still, we bring a brand new CSI. There's still a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of partnerships. There's a lot of trust. You know, there's a lot of that in a CSI culture. That's why it still works. But if you're if you're a 18 year old kid, 25 year old kid, 30 year old 30 year old person going in to pitch with, with a small resume. It's going to be very, very challenging uh, to go to first base. And I think that's the thing we have to take care of, not take care of Anthony's, who's already established, but to take care of the upcoming Anthony's that need the development support to keep the industry alive. And I don't think leadership-wise that's happening. Mm,
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what sort of action do you think is something that could be taken for that other than the sort of potential It's just going to have to be from the the top down.
0: Yeah, from the top down. It's going to have to start empowering your executives to develop. I mean, look, you know, very few people walk in with something that's perfect. Hmm. You know, if that's the case, everything Francis Ford Coppola shot would be the greatest things of all time, beyond Godfather, even there's some misses with him, too, right? It's hard to get things right. Spielberg is hard to get things right. Um, there are very few Top Gun Mavericks out there that are just a fantastically perfect movie. Um, but you have to empower your executives to, have the, uh, to be tastemakers, to see something great that may not quite be there, but get it there, bring out the best and the talent um, get behind it with passion, go upstairs and sell it. Um, uh, and I don't see, I don't see a lot of that. I see a lot of, uh, it's kind of like a talent show. You kind of like you perform and either, either you win or you lose. There's no real gray area of development. I think that's, that's a dangerous game.
1: Mm, it obviously, yeah. means that we might sort of get a limited talent pool in the time, uh, times going ahead. Obviously we see more and more shows with high profile showrunners attached to them and that's very exciting and they'll, it seems like a lot of those writers' rooms end up being sort of full of that showrunner and a lot of their close writers that they trust. Sure, oh well, yeah, for, that's, that's, that's it for sure. And makes it difficult for new people to get in and cut their teeth on on some writing. Yeah, and
0: I, you know, and I don't think that's going to kill. That won't keep an industry alive. You know, having a, mm. an Aaron Sorkin here, you know, um, and uh, you know David Kelly there of this generation, is, or even a White Lotus, Mike White. Is, you know, it's 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 not going to sustain an industry. You know, and so you start growing potential future showrunners, to start growing you know, uh, seasoned writers who are younger, um, and start embracing some of these younger filmmakers to grow into their own. You know, I, I never wrote television before CSI, but I had two partners in Bruckheimer to come in and teach me the industry, take care of me, not let me go, include me. You know, and now you know, cut to, we have 841 episodes over the course of 25 years, a quarter century of content in the game um, at a $12 billion valuation in 187 territories around the world. And that, that's that's the difference between taking care of a no-name tram driver like me from Las Vegas who never wrote TV, and then taking care of him and teaching him the business and then growing into you know, a leader of industry. That's, that's the cl- classic difference between taking care of somebody and discarding somebody.
1: Yeah, no, very, very, very true. Um, I think with that, we're getting close to our time here today, but... Um... Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Before we do go, I uh, just wanted to find out if you've, if you've got anything else on the docket
0: that you're working on at the moment that you want to do uh, that's no about. Tons and tons and tons. <laughs> um, well, I am, I am working on a brand new streaming channel um, that I can't go on record beyond that, but it is sort of the future of what Netflix is, is going to be. Um, I have several uh, board game initiatives that we're working on in the sports world and also the CSI world, which is exciting. Um, I do have, after after eight long, arduous years, we finally got Soul Train, the musical, off the ground. That will debut September 6th in San Francisco and be, hopefully, fingers crossed, on Broadway by spring of so. 2024. I've been working on, on, on that book in production as an EP for about eight years. And our, our, our dear project that we've been working on since 2018 is, is Zyker Press. And my wife and I started a graphic novel company that deals with... Uh, children's topics like uh, abuse and divorce, cyberbullying, suicide, uh, autism. And we find these young people with great stories, animate their stories, and we uh, buy the books with personal funds and fundraising and give the books to schools for free. We're currently on our 10th book. They're available on Amazon. Uh, We've got wonderful children's stories. The kids are so fantastic. They've been through such tough trauma and to put those kids, those books into the world um, is really, really special. And our, our youngest, our 10th author, is, his name's Sunil, he's in a wheelchair. He has DMD, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And I'm getting emails, literally as we speak, as I hold my phone up um, from different principals that got the books for free, 25 copies in a class set. And just, it's a really, really special project. So it's called Zyker Press, it's on Amazon. Um, and look for these fantastic graphic novels.
1: Excellent, that sounds like Really, really fantastic work that you're doing there, alongside everything else as well. Uh, yeah, you, definitely, yeah. you definitely are not slowing down,
0: are you? No, mm-hmm. no. It's funny. People are so far they're like, uh, how come you're still working? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I be? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> you know, I I know I'm only a child at 54 years old, but I've been doing CSI since 20, 29 years old, but I, I still enjoy working, being creative, and uh, don't plan on stopping anytime soon.
1: Great. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I guess uh, before I do let you go, I have one final curveball question for you. I'm sure you've been asked this by hundreds of people, but what is your favorite Who song?
0: Oh, you know, I think um, I think Who Are You probably. You know, that was the song that I I chose for the network when they wanted a. You know, they they had a song. Um, I think the uh, song called War. Good, what is it good for? You? Oh wow! Like, I, I think that was a <laughs> the song they had back in uh, Family Law. So they wanted mm-hmm. the, the, well, like rock song. So I chose Who Are You, Who mm-hmm. Are You, Making the victim, Who Are You, the killer. I
1: went, mm-hmm. to
0: Pete, went to Pete Townsend when he saw the main title sequence. He was in his private jet. He popped in a VHS tape. Yes, I said it, a VHS tape. <laughs> um, and then called and said he loved it. And next thing you know, it was the Who Are You, then uh, Won't Get Fooled Again, and then Babbo mm-hmm. O'Reilly. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then think, back to uh, Who Are You
1: again.
0: And go back to Who Are You again. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Who's done very, very well. Um, there was a time mm-hmm. where they were charging us about you know seventy thousand dollars a week. Uh, wow! So they, they they made like made out like bandits, those guys.
1: Yeah, they've done very well out of this. <laughs> Why go on tour when you can when you can get CSI? Well, if sure. you ever do CSI Vancouver, you can do Pinball Wizard for that. I think that's a good choice. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, I could appreciate. I, can see, that. The, I can see the Chelsea. I can see the the, the 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 flower show up there, being a one big fat crime scene. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: All right, well, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you today, Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us on Inside Content. Great, thanks very much. Have a great day, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content, the TV industry podcast brought to you by 3Vision. With decades of TV industry experience and real world success, we know the ins and outs of the market like nobody else. To learn more about our TV consultancy services, head to threevision.tv. visiontv